Andre Boudria, number 21. Boudria checked by Westfall. Now Sanderson steals it. Talbot's after him. Sanderson centering it out. Here's Ori. The Carlton Scotty scores! Carlton! Firing it in on the short side, beating Wakeley. And the Bruins go ahead, 3-1. to one. Next to Whaler newcomer this season, former captain and leading scorer of the Toronto Toros. Now he's on our side, twice an all-star, the swoop, Wayne Carlton. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the voice of hockey legends. This show is created to give a voice to former pro players and personalities, allowing them to share some of the greatest stories this game has to tell. So let's take a trip to the heart of the classic hockey universe and celebrate the history of the game with the select few who actually lived it. My guest on episode 71 is Wayne Swoop Carlton, who was an important part of the Boston Bruins 69-70 Stanley Cup championship team. In fact, he was on the ice when Bobby Orr scored his famous cup-clinching goal in the fourth game of the 1970 Stanley Cup final. Carlton played junior hockey for the Toronto Marlboros from 1961 through 1966, and he played a starring role in the Marlboros 64 Memorial Cup championship team. After a brief stay with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Carlton was traded to the Bruins during the 69-70 season. With Boston, he teamed with Derek Sanderson and Eddie Westfall on a productive third line which played especially well in the postseason. At the conclusion of a 22-goal 70-71 campaign with the Bruins, Carlton was claimed by the California Golden Seals in the interleague draft. After one season in Oakland, Carlton was one of many Seals players who would jump to the fledgling World Hockey Association. Carlton became an all-star in the WHA, topping the 90-point mark in 72-73 with the Ottawa Nationals and in 73-74 when that franchise moved to Toronto and became the Toros. He was later traded to the New England Whalers, where he played in the Whalers' first season in Hartford before being traded to Edmonton for Mike Rogers in 75-76. Carlton suffered numerous knee injuries throughout his career, and after brief stretches in Edmonton and Birmingham, he retired from big league hockey. Wayne's got great stories to tell of his productive career, and the timing is perfect as we celebrate the Bruins' 50th anniversary of their 1970 Stanley Cup championship team. Before talking with Wayne, just a reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. This helps the show become more visible to hockey fans around the world. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Wayne Swoop Carlton. Well, we're real thrilled to have one of the most exciting players of the 1970s, a key part of that Bruins 1970 Stanley Cup team, also a perennial all-star in the World Hockey Association. He also played in that first Whalers team that played in Hartford in 1975, Wayne Swoop Carlton. Wayne, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be here. Wayne, uh, I was curious, at your time as a young man, you were a 
much bigger player than most hockey players were at the time. You ended up being about six feet three inches tall. So growing up playing hockey, were you always one of the the bigger players? Yeah, I happened to be uh, from a young age the biggest uh, kid on all the teams I played on, and and most of the time I didn't play in my own division. Like when I was ten, I was. Uh, Big enough, I played up with the Bantams, which was 14-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah, I was quite a big kid. How did you, uh, and the way hockey was back then for our younger fans, is that the Toronto, you grew up in the Sudbury, Ontario area, the Toronto Maple Leafs would have had your territorial rights at the time and done so at a pretty young age. How did that all come about? How were you first contacted by the Leafs, and how did you end up with the Toronto Marlboros? Well, it's sort of a misnomer. I was born in I was born in Sudbury. My dad worked for the Sudbury Star, and he was up there just because he was a heck of a ball player. Anyway, my mom didn't like it up there, so we moved down and come down to a little place called Beaton, which is just oh. uh, south of Barrie, mm-hmm. and that's where I grew up. And uh, that's where my that's where I grew up and played all my minor hockey. But uh, going uh, then they they scouted me. I was also scouted by Montreal. Scotty Bowman was up, and uh, that was uh, in the time uh, they wanted me to go to Montreal. In fact, they had uh, in our summer hockey uh, banquets they'd uh, send up uh, they've sent up Boom Boom Jeffrey on a number of wow. number of their players to speak at, at, in that couple of years. But my parents at that time weren't uh, too enthused about uh, going to Quebec French language that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, of course, Toronto, Bob Davidson was uh, doing the same. That's back when, you know, they sponsor, they would sponsor your minor hockey to get you. Right. Type of thing. So that's in essence what, what had happened. And I, that's how I ended up uh, going to the Marlies, which was uh, an affiliate of the Maple Leafs. And playing, you know, we've had on our, on our show recently players such as Mike Corrigan, Gary Smith, a number of players who played at those Marlboro teams. And I try to ex- explain to people, too, who are unfamiliar with it, the Marlboros, it wasn't just your typical uh, junior hockey team. You played in the in the gardens. You play, played before big crowds. What was the experience uh, of being a Toronto Marlboro? Well, as I say, I was, I was a kid. When I went there... Uh, I went to actually Unionville. They sponsored the Metro Junior League back then when I come up. And to get me, I had to go, and it was the Metro Junior A League. And that's how I got to the Marlies. They brought me up as a, as a 14-year-old. And uh, I played, I forget how many games there, probably, uh, I'm going to say maybe 10 or 12. And then they made a trade for me. They made a trade for me from one of the Marlies to uh, Unionville, then brought me, brought me to the Marlboros. I was curious, during that stretch, and you obviously were highly touted, you had a stretch in your last three years. Uh, if I look at it correctly, you probably scored in about 90 games. You scored about 60 goals, obviously uh, highly productive. But also, one of the things that happened to you during your career, and I don't know if it happened at, at a young age, is you suffered a lot of uh, knee problems. You ended up with eight, eight surgeries, I believe. Did you start developing those injuries at during this time period? No, actually, yes. Actually, uh, actually, they all happened uh, basically in, in when I was uh, 17. As I said, I was a big kid. I was a good ball player, too, but I ended up... Uh, tearing my meniscus, uh, playing baseball in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that led to getting the, the way it was tore to get into my knee joint. 
and ripped up my knee joint and, uh, and there I only played uh, basically I only played about uh, 20 some games there from the time I was uh, well from 62 till I actually uh, 63 64 mm-hmm. and then I then I played with the Marlies and then uh, sorry no that was 64 that happened after we won the Memorial Cup we were playing in my hometown there baseball and that's when I ripped up my knee and uh, kept on playing, and then from in '64, '65, uh, I only played. I played in 15 games, and then again '65, '66, I only played 16 games. So that that was pretty much. And I still had years of eligibility left to play junior, and they they decided to turn me pro when I was 19. In '66, '67, I went to Tulsa. I really needed the time. I really, after going through all that, oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time in the hospital. I spent 10 months in a row in the hospital trying, where there was no weight bearing on my right leg. So, you know, I needed, I really needed to have that extra year in junior, right, to, uh, you know, to get my confidence back and, and get back from my injuries. But they chose me to send me to the uh, to the Central Hockey League, which was really first and second year pros, like guys that had played junior, finished junior, and, and then... Uh, and then uh, basically that's, but I I was I was so far behind because I you know I only played 31 games in two years. I scored 42 I scored 42 goals for the Marlies 63-64 and won the Memorial Cup, right? I was second All Star behind uh, Dennis Hull. And then 64-65 I played 15 games I had 13 goals and then I played 16 games and had nine goals. Uh, but that but I missed so much of those two seasons. Yeah, it had to be extraordinarily difficult for a young guy. I mean, just even if you weren't playing hockey, being laid up for that amount of time and yeah. being away from your team, your teammates, your your building your career, your uh, building your reputation, and to be shelved for that amount of time had to be quite a test for a young man. Yeah, it was it was, it was difficult. I mean, it, it was uh, you know it was difficult. But as I said, I really needed they needed I needed to stay in junior one more year. Mm-hmm. You know, to get my because I I was going to be able to excel there because I had before right, but they decided to turn me pro and and uh, you know I, I I played 52 games that year uh, and ended up uh, getting 17 goals. But it was the fact that I needed the time. Right, absolutely. But how was that? first year in playing hockey and you you grew up obviously in Canada you, uh, in the Ontario area now you're playing hockey in Tulsa Oklahoma as your first full how was that well it, it was well you know you're, you're leaving home when I say leaving home you're going to another country right and you're away from your family and you're 19 years old starting a professional career right and coming off you know time where I hadn't played a lot and the expectations were obviously high for me because I, you know, because of that year we won the Memorial Cup. Mm-hmm. But it uh, it took its toll. I mean, it uh, took a toll, a toll on me. And I I think that's why I I didn't really get going, you know, until later in my career when I was 24. It just it just took so much time to try and get back, uh, you know, trying to get back. And I had the same operation at 17 that Bobby Orr had, damaged knee joint. Wow. And I ended up retiring at 29. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, you, you know, I didn't have a lot of time. As I said, the best years, the best years when I finally got going, you know, was obviously when I got, 
and and then I had no confidence when I come back and I got traded to Boston. It was like somebody lifting weights off my shoulders <laughs> to get out of, you know, to get a, to get out of, get out of Toronto because it just wasn't work. It, it wasn't working because I had no confidence. They had no confidence in me, but they'd never, you know, he asked for the trades back then. They didn't, they'd done whatever they wanted because you didn't have, you didn't have lawyers or anything. So but anyway, it, it was what it was. And you take it with a, with a grain of salt, you know, you can't you can't change history, so it's uh, you know it was what it was. Absolutely, you know when I wanted to go back to Toronto for one quick second, and that is, I was curious. In 67, you do score. You don't you don't get a lot of time to leave. You do score your first goal in the National Hockey League at the end of that Maple Leafs dynasty. You're playing with a whole host of Hall of Famers and legends. But do you remember putting that uh, that Leafs jersey on for the first time back in 65, 66? And do you remember your first goal in 66, 67? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I scored it off the left wing. I, 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 let's put it this way. I probably wasn't in the right frame of mind to, to start into the national hockey league, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. with, with what was going on. Cause, uh, M- and I didn't get along period. So it was, uh, it was, you know, it, it wasn't the happiest times. Let's put it that way. It, it, when it should have been when it should have been a great experience, you know, it was it was just so so. But there was a uh, silver lining in all that, and eventually, as you noted, you get traded to the Bruins in exchange for Jim Harrison, and you arrive at the Bruins team as they are have gone on the uh, journey on the way to a Stanley Cup. Their team is getting better all the time. It's a strong. Strong team. So, what's the atmosphere difference for you, like uh, personally for you, and as a team in general? What was the biggest difference between Toronto and Boston? Well, I, I think basically it, it, you know, it can be summed up. Uh, you know, it can be summed up. I, I made a mistake every time you made a mistake in Toronto. Punch would pull you off, right? And never say nothing to you, right? So you just got. If you knew you made the mistake in the edge, you might as well skate. I just skated to the bench, <laughs> but uh, I did that in Boston. I first there, and Harrison and then Mitadori says, "You're not in Toronto now." He says, "We all make mistakes here. Get out there." And that was just like somebody lifting, you know, again weights off your shoulders, and all of a sudden your attitude and your, you know become very positive. Now, your fans remember you in Boston being on, a, on an excellent line with number 18, Ed Westfall, number 16, Derek Sanderson. Yep. Is that something that happened right away, Wayne, or did you, uh, in, did you get on that line eventually? How did it all fit in? Yeah, well, I was to play. Uh, the reason that uh, Milt went out and got me, I guess, was because of uh, uh, Ron, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, he had the bad back. Uh, Ron Murphy. Uh, Ron Murphy. And that was to sort of replace him because they knew he wasn't going to be able to play. So they, they tried me out at a couple of different spots, uh, center, and then, I, then we finally settled away at left wing because I did play center too. So One thing, I when I talked to the Bruins, I talked recently to Freddie Stanfield, Rick Smith, they talk about the camaraderie uh, within that locker room with the Bruins. And is that something that you, you felt right away? Yeah, yeah. no, that was... Uh, a good group of guys, the guys all pulling in the same direction, uh, and we had that attitude that uh, you can never be beat type of thing. And uh, and that, you know, that I think was the catalyst. And, and plus, don't forget, we had, uh, as you know, we had Bobby and Phil and, and uh, some pretty talented players. So, But, <laughs> right. it, but it, takes, it takes a team to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, there's no I in team. So, right. you know. 
it, uh, it takes all that. And uh, uh, even though you have your major players, you still have to have guys step up uh, when needed. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Bobby Orr, and I, I have to ask you, you, of course, knew of Bobby quite a bit, I'm sure. Well, we played I, against each other as kids. All right. So I remember you two getting interviewed. I think it was on Hockey Night in Canada at yeah, some point. Yeah, Hockey Night in Canada, Ward Cornell, yes. So by 69-70, Bobby's really dominated the National Hockey League, and I, I guess I would ask you the obvious question. Is what was it like to be a teammate of Bobby Orr, both his talent and uh, his leadership on and off the ice? Well, I mean, you know, everybody knew he, uh, how much talent he had, and and not only that, but he was a fiery competitor and and a leader, right? And uh, he, you know, to me, he led by example. Uh, you know, he was the type of player that obviously there's nothing he couldn't do at any point in the game, and uh, and I mean, let's you know, plus he was entertaining and all that stuff that goes with being a natural and, and a a hell of a hockey player. The, uh, is it, when I talk about hockey in Boston at that time period, the Boston Bruins were uh, were the kings of Boston. You had, you're on Channel 38, and so they had, everybody would, would tune in and get their rabbit ears on the TV to watch, watch you guys play. It was an incredible experience. Uh, did you feel that as a player? I mean, you guys were just larger to life, and it, everything just came together. You were a colorful team, an exciting team, and a dominant team. What was the atmosphere like in Boston at the time compared to maybe the atmosphere in Toronto? Oh, well, uh, I mean, Toronto was, let's be honest, Toronto was really struggling, right? Uh, when I when I got traded there, I mean, they were they were really, really struggling. And, of course, obviously, Toronto's a great hockey city. But, you know, people were always looking for the winner. They're still looking for a Stanley Cup champion, right? Now. Yeah. Uh, so, but when I come to Boston, there was certainly an air about the opportunity that we could win a Stanley Cup. And as we get further on in the season and things were going pretty good, uh, it, it felt even more so. So it, it was, uh, it, yeah, it, it was it was a, certainly a year to remember, especially for me going there December 10th and, and having an opportunity, which... Uh, I never thought I never thought I'd ever get. You know. Oh, absolutely. I guess that's one of those things in life where Toronto, one door closes, another one opens, and that's Toronto right. wasn't there. And Boston certainly changed your your career, gave you a chance to win a Stanley Cup. But I wanted to ask you about a, a couple of players who have passed away in recent years and their contributions to the team and how you remember them. And the first one was right wing Johnny Pye McKenzie, who also ended up being a WHA original with you. But what type of guy was uh, Johnny Pye? You know, Johnny Pye was uh, quite a feisty, quite a feisty little guy, both on and off the ice, and and a great teammate. It's just uh, funny. I, I can always remember that his his gels and his his laugh. And <laughs> just uh, you know, just a just a very bubbly, great guy, good Westerner. <laughs> Another character player who kind of wasn't a superstar but added a lot to that team was. Ace Bailey and Ace, Ace and I, Ace and I lived together. Oh, really? When I, I when I when I came when I got traded to uh, from Toronto to Boston, that's who I lived with in Saga. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, so we had quite a connection, uh, him and I, and obviously quite a friendship. Uh, as uh, another again, another good Westerner, <laughs> right? Saskatchewan. So, but yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was 
it, it, we had a we had a great time and, and a lot of fun. Uh, Wayne, as you go through the playoffs, obviously, I think what everybody remembers Wayne Carlton, of course, when it mattered there in game uh, four against the St. Louis Blues, your line starts and you're out there with Sanderson and Westfall. 40 seconds later, you're Stanley Cup champion. So were you surprised, first of all, to date your line started that period? And um, you were right there at the doorstep of that goal. If, uh, you know, Glenn, Glenn Hall kicks it out, maybe there's a statue of you out in front of the guard right now. You put yeah, it back in well, on the I, rebound. <laughs> let, let's put it this way. The right guy scored it. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. No, it, it was uh, getting back to your question of whether we should have started. If you look back at all the games we played against St. Louis, the first three, we dominated them. I mean, absolutely dominated them. Our line. Every time, every shift. And so I could see why Harry, Harry started us, right? Because we actually, you know, and, 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 that's, and guess what? That's exactly what happened. The puck went from center into their end and it was all over. So you've grown up in a hockey atmosphere. You've seen the Toronto Maple Leafs win Stanley Cups. You've won a Memorial Cup. But the dream of winning a Stanley Cup becomes realized right then. And it's curious what that feels like. Not many people have that, that emotion. Uh, what did it feel like to finally win a Stanley Cup? Well, as I said, you, 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 that's what you play for, right? That's mm-hmm. what you play for as a little kid, you know, watching it on Saturday night hockey and black and white TV, the Stanley Cup. I mean, that was the epitome of playing the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, to have an opportunity, you only get one chance every year. One team only gets one chance every year. And and uh, to be fortunate enough to, to be there and and even more fortunate to be on the ice when the overtime goals scored to win the Stanley Cup is uh, certainly uh, something that's what dreams are made of. Absolutely. You're immortalized forever in that, that famous... That famous scene. So you win the Stanley Cup, and this team is young, talented, and you're a key part of it. The next year, the team they call the Record Breakers, one of the most powerful teams in the history of hockey. Maybe one of the maybe top two or three best teams in the history of hockey. 70-71 Bruins. I think you get about 10-20 goals scores. You're among them with 22. And you've got to be feeling invincible. When you go on the road or someone comes into the Boston Garden, you had to have a feeling of this is a game you're probably going to win. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, but again, who are you playing against? The Montreal Canadiens, who have a, a record that's unbelievable uh, in Stanley Cups. And at that time, we weren't, we weren't playing as well as we had been or could, Right. You know, and I always, I'm a firm believer that you want to be going into the playoffs on the upswing, not on the downswing. Right. And I thought we were not on the downswing, but certainly we weren't on the upswing. And that, and and then we run into a goaltender named Ken Dryden out of Cornell. I mean, he he stood in his head. Oh yeah. And when things aren't when things aren't going your way, right, especially in a in in the playoff series, he. You know, it's not long before you start doubting yourself, especially if they get up a couple of games on you and you're having trouble beating the goalie, this goalie. Uh, and and I think that's basically what happened. We did we didn't get any, we didn't get no puck bounces. Yeah, and to me it was very disappointing. Thinking we had that opportunity, 
to, to I don't say be a dynasty, but to win another Stanley Cup. But as fast as you thought, uh, as you as good as you were, and that you should beat this team, obviously, as I say, hot goaltenders and playoffs uh, can can turn the fortunes very quickly. And that's exact and that's exactly what happened. You know, and when you go back and look at the stats, we just couldn't get the job done. And a lot of it was the guy in that. You know, and and the and the rivalry with Montreal. Montreal and Boston had a great rivalry. So that just gives them a, a catalyst to be better. That feeling in that locker room after Game Seven had to be uh, had to be uh, a real a sad, disheartening experience. Very disappointing. I said, very, very disappointing. So, you know, it's uh, as much as we had the high the year before. It was equally a devastating low. Right. And uh, and then you know and then and then things happened. Uh, you know the, you know they had they made some changes and then were able to win it the following year. And so out of that out of that carnage, you know, you you move on because that's you know that's what happens. Uh, you're not masters of your own fate when you're playing pro sport. <laughs> right. Well, you certainly learned that. You, you yourself personally, they have the interleague draft at the time, and you're uh, you're chosen. So you go from one extreme to the other. You go from a powerhouse Bruins yeah, team to, to three thousand miles away in Oakland, California, to a team that's in a bit of disarray at that point and to add add, add, add to the misery uh, you're in a uh, arbitration situation right yeah. away with, with Charlie yeah, yeah. Finley uh, it had to be a from a professional standpoint very disappointing going to well, the West it Coast was, it, was, it was very disappointing because I just got married after we won the Stanley Cup and and uh, you know after we won the Stanley Cup I got home I got married uh my wife was pregnant out in California uh, after going out there, she, and so it was. Let's it wasn't it wasn't the highlight of my career. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, and I think it started out very very slowly. Uh, the team actually, by the time that year was over, the team was actually playing some decent hockey. You had has some good talent. I've talked to Rick Smith about this, yeah, but you yep, know, yep. You, had, you know, really Bobby Sheehan, yourself, uh, Paul Schmier, Jerry Pinder, yeah, you, you, you had the pieces in place for a good team, but, but unfortunately, we were probably. I would say that team was probably with the with what we had there was probably a year or two away. I'm talking from experience, from learning how to play out of Oakland because you only had LA was the closest team. The rest were all then Minnesota and all down East. But, you know, I thought from an experience point of view, uh, you know, that probably would have been, you know, we'd have, we'd have been, we'd have done very well, but you know, it's all about timing, you know, when you're on, but it was, it was difficult out there. I couldn't wait. That's why a lot of us, I think there was 14 of us off that team jumped to the WHA the next year. Yeah, it was an incredible, uh, you know, over that uh, that seventy one seventy two off season. As you said, there was double digit players who who left the team. Uh, before I go to that in Ottawa for one second, I wanted to ask you about uh, playing for the Seals. The one thing that I, you just mentioned how L A was really the only team close to you out there. But what was the travel like? What were those road trips like? Being a member of the Seals. Well, the bottom line is you were gone. You know, you went and played, whatever, five or six games down east. So you're going through the time change, you know, flying, getting there, playing, and starting your road trip. And, and then, 
you know, turn around and flying all the way back, picking up the hours, and then you're then somebody maybe was sitting there waiting for you to play at home. <laughs> right. Right. So I mean, it 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 took some time, especially when you're young, to try and get used to that 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 all, all the time changes and and the rest of it. And as I said, my wife was pregnant at the time, and she didn't want to have her our child down there because of the Vietnam War at the time. You know, all the things that outside of hockey that play on your mind as to what you should or shouldn't be doing. Right. Well, you noted that the World Hockey Association came around at the right time. Now, I just actually was talking with Howard Baldwin, who, of course, was the founder of the Whalers and eventually yep. became WHA president. He said, you know, today's players should give a, a portion of their check to those original WHA guys who made that leap and took that chance because you oh. could have could have been blackballed from the NHL. That league folded right away. But uh, yep. you go to Ottawa, I'm sure you got a, a pay raise, but a chance to go back home. Talk a little bit about that whole process of signing with the Ottawa Nationals or WHA. Well, it was, uh, it was something come up. I didn't want to go back to Oakland, uh, nor my wife didn't want to go back to Oakland. Uh, so when that opportunity come, come up, you know, I took it. Uh, yes, it was a lot more money than I was making, but there was no guarantees, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and we had a young team in Ottawa. We didn't have no superstars. If you looked at the lineup, uh, it was a young, young bunch of guys, and we ended up making the playoffs the first year, which was quite surprising. But uh, um, And then and from there, the owner went bankrupt before the playoffs, and we ended up moving to Toronto. Yeah, I remember you became briefly the because uh, we when the Whalers played uh, the team in the playoffs, it was the Toronto Nationals, I believe, for that that, Toros, that, Toros. that right. But I think in that playoff series, you still recall the Nationals, then became the Toros. Oh, maybe we, next, maybe next we were. Yeah, I, I, it's, hard, but, it's hard to keep up with it. All. Oh my goodness, yeah. But now, what was the difference? You know, you were playing the first year to WHA. What was the difference in the caliber of play and the life in the, in the WHA compared to the NHL? Well, I, I think I think it was a much tougher league than the National Hockey League as far as we had a lot of guys up from the Eastern League, right, getting the first crack at it where, the, where they were used to scrapping all the time and, and carrying on, right, as opposed to the National Hockey League was more disciplined. Now, Bill Friday said to me, he said, that the toughest league he ever refereed in was the WHA right. when, it first, when it first started. And, and you had a lot of young guys, you know, the young players that were coming out of junior, right, uh, and so it was quite a mixture of of old, young, and in between, uh, and guys trying to you know prove themselves from where they were coming from, whether it was the National Hockey League or the American Hockey League or whatever. So it was a it was a and and, and there were some good teams. Uh, uh, you know there was some good teams uh, as as you, as the league expanded, players got better. Uh, not only from experience, but age and and so on, and then other players come over and so on and so forth. So it was, yeah, it was. Uh, like you, you didn't have like when I when I played in Ottawa, I didn't have no superstars on my left or right wing. No, you know, you had whoever you had whoever they put on the wing, type of thing, and that's you know, and, that, and that's the way it, that's the way it. Goes. But we had a good bunch of guys, good camaraderie, and and. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was certainly different. And I've often said, if, if it wasn't for the WHA, the guys in the National Hockey League would have never made the money they made. No question. Because Eagleson 
certainly wasn't going to give it to them, or, or was the owners. <laughs> right. So. How? Um, yeah, one question I wanted to ask you is because you were you were a bigger player, but you were a uh, you weren't afraid to stick your nose in there, but you're obviously a goal scorer and a playmaker. Did you find yourself at your size getting tested more uh, or less than the, the average player? Neither. I was I was much bigger than a lot of the guys, right? Uh, you know, like I said, I don't know if I was no, but I was I was big and strong. Like, like and that and that makes it that makes a big difference, right? When you're, you know, when you're stronger than most of them, you know. Whether you fight or not, it's how you handle them, right? Right. And uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I just no, I didn't think it was a whole lot different than than uh, where you know where I was playing before. Other than as I said, you didn't play with the same caliber of players to start with. Right. Well, you end up uh, in a very interesting trade coming to New England and becoming a part of the New England Whalers franchise in 74-75. You traded for Jim Dory, kind of an odd trade because Jim stayed with the team for a while, and yeah, yeah. Uh, which is very rare. You wouldn't see that these days. And I think for tax purposes, he ended up being traded officially on January 1 of 75. Yeah. But nonetheless, you joined the Whalers, and you when you come here, you are joined with a lot of guys that you know and a lot of players you play with through the Toronto organization. And what was your impression of the New England Whalers at that time? Well, they they'd already won an AFCO Cup, and you know, so they you knew you had a birdie. I basically come to New England, which you know, off two ninety point seasons, right? Uh, coming to New England, I ended up being the third line center, so that meant I didn't play the power plays. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look back. Look back on it. I played with whoever usually it was Donnie Blackburn and whoever was on the right wing, right? Right. So I never got an opportunity. Where in Toronto, of course, I played the power plays, right, and all the other stuff. I I think I still ended up leading the team in scoring. Yes, you did. But but I but I never played any of the I never played any of the power plays or that that was reserved for Tommy Webster, Rest of Soul, and and you know Larry Plo and. And uh, Tim Sheehy and the guys that had played there previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne, you mentioned Tom Webster, a player that you uh, obviously played with in Hartford and would have played against uh, at various stages of your career. Yep. Obviously, just just passed away tragically. Uh, what are your memories of Tom Hawkeye Webster as a player and a person? Oh, Tom, Tommy was a uh, was a great player and a great a great guy. He, ne- he never had success in the National League, but certainly had a lot of success in the WHA. But it's uh, I think from what I've read and, and everything, you know, he he was uh, a good hockey person as far as scouting and and everybody looked like everybody loved him. He was he was a feisty guy. He was a feisty guy, both on and off the ice. So uh, obviously, uh, reading his reading the article, uh, I haven't seen Tommy Webster for years. So, mm-hmm. but he would know he was uh, he he was certainly a, a quality guy. Speaking of feisty, Wayne, this is the anniversary of what's infamously called the Brawl in the Mall, the fight between the New England Whalers and the Minnesota Fighting Saints. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What is your recollection of that uh, melee? Well, that was uh, that's when I am, me and Carlson got involved. J- Jack Carlson, I, I remember I, I, I got a hold of him, I got a hold of him, threw him on the ice and got on top of him, and he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't get his hands. He couldn't get his hands going or nothing. So I, I pinned him down there. 
he that wasn't was... happy with it, but uh, but he never got he never got chance to get at anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a smart decision on your part to be sure. And you know, you talk about your role with the Whalers, and uh, even in the next season, seventy five and seventy six, you're still averaging about a point a game in that second and third line role. You traded to Edmonton, and I guess at that point your knees are, are becoming problematic. Did you know? No, what, no, that really wasn't the story there. What happened? What happened was we went on a road trip out west. And I got appendicitis, and, and uh, my appendix burst. I, I was really sick in Oakland. We flew to Denver, and I was really ill. And they said, oh, no, we need you to dress. I started to dress, and I passed out. Oh. And they rushed me to the hospital there, and, of course, my appendix burst. And I was out there for 10 days. Wow, I did not know that. And lost, and lost 20-some pounds. Could have died. Yep, lost 20-some pounds, and... Uh, when I got back, they were, they were, uh, they wanted, they, and I had a no trade clause. And Jack Kelly wanted, wanted to trade for Mike Rogers. And I, you know, I, I, they told me I shouldn't play the rest of the season. This was in, I'm going to say January, sometime middle of January. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, you should not play the rest of the season. You need to get yourself all back together, right? Because of the poison that was through your system plus, you know, plus the loss of the weight, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I relented and, and I ended up going to, that's when I went, went to Edmonton. And I played the last, I'm going to say, uh, I played the last 26 games. I played 35 games up until this happened. And then I played the last 26 games uh, with Edmonton. But I wasn't, I certainly wasn't myself, I can tell you that. No, I can imagine. That's, uh, again, the type of thing that wouldn't happen these days, you know, with the... No, no, no. I, I mean, crazy. I wouldn't... If it had a lawyer, if I had somebody giving me some guidance, but I was pissed off that they were wanting to, you know, trade me mm-hmm. after, after the way they dealt with it. And uh, and anyway, that's... so that. And then the next year I got in with Pockington, you see, and then I, I never played... I never played in the WHA after that, except for Birmingham. They, they signed me to... I was playing senior at the time. Mm-hmm. And I went and played one game. I think it was against New England. Scored a goal, and uh, my lawyer phoned me. He said, "Don't." And we were already on our way to Birmingham, and uh, uh, I wouldn't dress for the game. I wouldn't dress for the game in Birmingham because he told me, "He says don't," because you're in. A, he said you're in a legal battle with Edmonton Oilers. So. Oh. So that's so that's what happened there. Wow. <laughs> and that, Did I know that? Then I, then I then I come home and. And played uh, played uh, senior with the uh, Barry Flyers, and we come one game short of winning the Allen Cup. So that was the end of and that was that was the end of my career. I retired at I was 29. Wow, that's just incredible, incredible. Just when you should be and then, the peaking. And then and then what's his name? Emily Francis phoned me from the Rangers. Wanted to know if I'd consider coming back to the National Hockey League, and I was very honest with them. I said my right knee is not good. I said I just don't think I could be of. I just don't think I could play them what I would expect my capabilities to be, and I just said I I, I have to pass. How was yeah, that must have been tempting, however, and nonetheless, but now that your career gets short-circuited, uh, injuries being a big role there, uh, how was your transition out of hockey? How was that those first couple of years being away from the game? Fine, I, fine. I had bought a lot of real estate when I was uh, playing. I had four farms up here in the Collingwood area, and 
and since over time so I farmed and raised a few horses and and uh, went for went to work for my buddy selling cars uh, after I got out Daryl Sly and and uh, who I played with in Rochester and and uh, and we're still in Collingwood here and uh, I I've got my financial services company which I've had for uh, I guess now going on 35 years wow. uh, I still go to the office and do still have my clients that I've had for 35 years Oh, that's and, the way uh, to do it. Do that, and then my my wife uh, of 50 years. She she nursed at the Collingwood Hospital for 35 years. Now we've got uh, my son who has a party rental business here, and uh, and then we I have three grand three grandkids, two boys and a girl. So we're uh, from a family perspective, we're and we're I guess comparatively healthy. Uh, I've had a couple knees replaced and. Uh, and uh, you go through the aches and pains that you got over the years of playing, but uh, <laughs> other than that, things are uh, things things aren't too bad. So I'm sort of I feel sometimes quite blessed. But I, I got when I got out of hockey, I you know that was I coached my son when I got out of hockey for a year, and and uh, now he coaches he coaches his the grandkids so. Anyway, that's uh, it's good to keep you in your grandpa, of course. Uh, do you, do you, I'm, I'm assuming you, do you still have your Stanley Cup ring? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all that stuff. I never saw. I never had no need to sell it. Instead, I got three grandkids, so they're they're into hockey and they're into hockey and that. So someday they'll fi- they'll figure out how to do whatever. I know I've got my <laughs> stick and uh, they had the, that and my sweater and you know that type of stuff. But uh, yeah. That's great. Well, oh. we uh, we're looking forward to eventually having a reunion of that 1969-70 team, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. But yeah. in the meantime, I really wanted to thank you for taking the time, a quite a fascinating career, learned a lot today. And uh, we look forward to uh, sometime soon seeing you back in Boston. Well, okay, Mark. Well, thanks for your time and uh, certainly enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast the voice of hockey legends. If you enjoy listening to the show, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. This helps make our podcast more visible and accessible to hockey fans around the world. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please contact me at prohockeyalumni.org or via social media at prohockeyalumni. The Pro Hockey Alumni greatly appreciates your support.